Hello, everybody. Normally, I'm in the back. But if you have never seen me before, because I'm in the back a lot, I'm Steve, and I'm on the pastoral staff here. My responsibilities, children, and for young families. And the reason I'm in the back is because that's where the kids are, and that's where I like to hang out. But it's nice to be out here today. And um, a quick shout-out, though, to all our Kids Life team back there. Some of you are here this hour, of course. But uh, I love our Kids Life team. We are a team, but we are all different. And I was thinking about it. (coughs) Isn't that the idea? Because God gives us all different gifts, talents, abilities. But the idea is that Jesus is the head of the church. And he coordinates it all like a symphony. And we have the opportunity in the unique way that God has gifted us to serve him and encourage one another in the body of Christ. So however God has gifted you, I hope that you have the opportunity to plug in someplace uh, for you to utilize the unique way God's gifted you to serve the body here of believers here at LifePoint Church. And if your particular interest is in working with children or anything about children or with young families, I'd love to visit with you about that. And uh, afterwards, I'm going to be hanging out at the kids' camp tent right over there. I was here last week, and I had a brief chance to talk to you about the kids' camp. Um, And our dates there are July 29 to August 2nd, right on the banner. So I'd like you to save the date. Put that on your calendar right now, that that week of the summer is uh, set aside for for, uh, kids' camp. Now, you may not know this, but... Apparently, of all the weeks in the year in the Pacific Northwest, that is the week designated as having the most sunny days. So, here's something I would suggest. What a great week for a vacation week. Huh? Yeah. And so here's the plan. In the morning, you come and be a part of our kids camp team. We need your help. And it's, uh, of all the weeks in the year, perhaps the most strategic. And then, in the afternoon... Just take some time with the family. Do something Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Just do it a whole family week in the afternoon. It'll be lots of sunshine. And as I mentioned, it'll be an opportunity for you to invest in something quite strategic. All our weeks of the year, there's perhaps no greater opportunity to come alongside the children and families of our community just to share the gospel of the truth of Jesus with them and to uh, um, come alongside the families many of whom will come and will meet for the first time. So it's an awesome week. I hope that you consider that as an opportunity. But I'm here um, standing in for Pastor Jim today. Some of you know, if you haven't heard, Pastor Jim's mom did pass away. And this weekend, he is with his extended family um, with his mom's memorial service. So I thought it would be appropriate if we could just, how often do we get to pray for our pastor from, uh, from the front here? I thought we could do that here. In his absence, we want to be praying for him and Marcy, for Lauren, of course, and their son, John Michael and Mallory. And uh, I thought that would be a good way to start for us today. And would you pray with me? Thank you, God, for our pastor, Jim, and uh, Marcy, of course, too, and the kids, Lauren and John Michael and Mallory. We are so fond of them, but uh, we pray for them during this week. This weekend, with as they gather as a family, 
with heavy hearts uh, for the loss of Jim's mom, but with hearts rejoicing that she uh, knew you and lived a life of faith uh, in Jesus. And so we celebrate, uh, God, that you have a place in heaven for each of us who have called on the name of Jesus. We pray, though, that you would continue to give Jim the energy that he needs, the wisdom that he needs as uh, the pastor of our church. We just support him uh, in any way that we can, but this morning, just lifting up his unique needs, this weekend in particular, to you. And uh, for that matter, God, give uh, Jim and all our our elder board um, um, wisdom in these days. We need your wisdom so much. We're glad to come to your throne of grace again in this time of need for Pastor Jim. We uh, thank you, too, for our opportunity to be together this morning as we open your word together in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you for doing that. Hey, I have, I have four stories to tell you today. Four stories. And then one additional story to wrap up all the other stories in one Last story. My first story is called A Snare of Our Own Making, and it's the story of Billy Coleman. And Billy Coleman had two pups, little Ann and old Dan. And Billy was set on training his pups to be coon dogs. And, of course, if you're going to train your pups to be able to be able to hunt raccoons, you need a, a raccoon pelt. And so he had it as ambition, his, as his ambition to get a raccoon any way he could. And three weeks later, he gave up trying because he couldn't outsmart one of those little rascal raccoons. But he did what he should have done at the very beginning, I think. And he asked his grandfather for help. Always the right choice to ask Grandpa. Grandpa, of course, had lots of specific ideas. And um, his idea was involved a brace and bit, a hammer and nails. And, well, here's an, an excerpt from the novel called Where the Red Fern Grows. And I bet you've read this sometime or other. It's written by Wilson Rawls. After what seemed like an eternity, I saw him coming. He was carrying a brace and bit. That was all. With a mischievous little smile on his face, he said, You wouldn't think a fella could catch a coon with a brace and bit, would you? I thought he was kidding me, and it made me feel bad. Why, Grandpa? I said, You couldn't catch a coon in a jillion years with that thing. You just don't have any idea how smart they are. Yes, you can, he said. You bet your boots you can. Why, when I was a boy... I caught coons on top of coons with one of these things. Well, he went on. Now, the first thing you'll need is some bright objects. He said, the best thing is bright, shiny tin. Cut out some little round pieces a little bit smaller than the bit. Now, he said, you go down along the river where there are lots of coon tracks. Find a good solid log close by and bore a hole down about six inches and drop one of the pieces of that bright tin right down in the hole. Make sure it's lying flat on the bottom. Well, in addition, Billy was to get a hammer and his nails and he put the nails in the log at angles so that when a raccoon would put his paw 
in the hole for the shiny tin, he could go in, but it would be harder for him to pull it out because his paw would poke the nails, right? So I stepped back and almost cried as I said, Grandpa, you're kidding me. What kind of a trap could, that kind of a trap couldn't catch a coon? Why, all he'd have to do is open his paw, drop the piece of tin, and he could pull it from the hole. Then Grandpa told him about a coon that he had had as a house pet when he was younger. One of the most peculiar things about that coon, he said, was his front feet. Once he wrapped those little paws around something, he would never let it go. So they set lots of traps down by the, the creek, I guess. A week or so later, they came upon a raccoon. A raccoon, sure enough, his little paw was stuck in the hole in the log. And his, his grandpa wasn't there that day, but his dad had come along to do in the raccoon. And this is how it went. After the coon was killed, I walked over. I walked over after Papa had pulled the nails from the log. He lifted the coon's paw from the hole. There, clamped firmly in it, was the bright piece of tin. In a low voice, Papa said, Well, I'll be darned. All he had to do was open it up, and he was free, but he wouldn't do it. Your grandfather was right. And sometimes you and I get caught in snares of our own making. Story number two is the story of Isaiah. Isaiah, the prophet. And it was, he began his ministry 740 B.C. The prophet Isaiah wrote about the coming of the Messiah. <clears throat> Here I got a big old ESV study Bible. I was reading the introduction to the book of Isaiah. And he, the, uh, the guy who wrote it, I forgot to write down his name, but uh, one of the scholars that worked on this wrote down, this is what he said, Isaiah announces God's surprising plan of grace and glory for his rebellious people. I thought, I like the way that came out. God's plan of grace and glory for his rebellious people and indeed for the whole world. So we read in Isaiah that the Messiah would suffer, but that his suffering and death would be substitutionary. Substitutionary. In Isaiah 53, I would like to read this. But let me read Isaiah 53, 4, 5, and 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds... We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Messiah would suffer, but his death would be substitutionary. Story number three, Gethsemane. Jesus and his disciples, and Pastor Jim talked about this a week ago. 
Jesus and his disciples had just left the Last Supper in Jerusalem. They had crossed the, the Kidron Valley and had on their way east of town, east of Jerusalem, crossed the Kidron Valley and up the far slope uh, of the Mount of Olives. Partway up was a familiar place to them, the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, Jesus would basically spend the night. He, they would camp out at the garden. Really familiar spot to them. In I'm turned in my Bible to Matthew chapter 26. And I'm going to read a few verses here. In verse 30 it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Just ending the Lord's Supper, off they went to the Mount of Olives. But then look what it says. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the sheep. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now, Jesus went on. But I think this I think this may be the point when Peter stopped listening. Because he had this uh, reaction. In verse 33 it says, Peter answered him, Though I'll fall away because of you, I will never fall away. He was like feeling defensive about this. Though I'll fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Just so you know, and it's clear, Jesus and Peter were saying opposite things. Okay? Jesus could have been right, or Peter could have been right, but they were not both going to be right. And I think I know who was right. A little later on in the garden, Jesus invites Peter and the others to be with him. Uh, again, in Matthew 26, I'm looking at verse 30. Um, 38 then he said to them my soul is very sorrowful even to death remain here and watch with me later on he invited them again it says watch and pray verse 41 watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation he was inviting him Jesus was inviting them into uh, this prayer time and time of watchfulness with him it turns out they were terrible at this I don't know how much watching or praying that they did. The, the account says they did one thing, and that was they all fell asleep. Jesus, though, prayed. And uh, in verse 39, it says, And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And Jesus would pray. Then he'd come check on the guys, and they'd be asleep. And then he'd go pray again. And then he'd come back in verse 42 again for the second time. He went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, uh, verse 44, So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. So I was reading a book by Timothy Keller. 
He's a pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City. And the book was called Jesus the King. There was a chapter on this. He was, uh, Keller was talking about a par- parallel passage in Mark chapter 13. Uh, Mark chapter 14, rather, verse 33. And he was talking about how Jesus felt in these words in Mark, in the Mark passage. Uh, he looked at the word troubled, the word, the phrase greatly distressed. And he said, look at the meaning of those words. And he says, um, troubled, the meaning behind it is overcome with horror. The, the uh, idea behind greatly distressed is astonished in the, I don't, I don't ever picture Jesus being horrified at anything, or, or uh, distressed or astonished. Those were, that was a new um, thought for me. But those, that's how it's described. So, what was Jesus reacting to? In the verses we just read, he's talking about this cup. He's talking to his, the Father about this cup. What cup? The cup is an image of the wrath of God poured out on the injustice of the world. And in a, a parallel passage in Isaiah 51, uh, verse 17, it talks about the imagery of this cup being a cup of God's wrath poured out in judgment. And um, it's a similar, let me read this to you too, uh, different context, but the same imagery. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. So the question I ask is, is Jesus was considering this, this wrath of God. Why is that wrath necessary? Let's think about that together a little bit. So picture a planet full of people created in the image of God. Yet they choose to not obey God's laws, and so that requires the justice of God. The planet full of people created in the image of God, choosing not to go God's way, choosing to go their own way, requires the justice of God. So in Romans 6, verse 23, we read the words, the wages of sin is death. Death saying these this is the wrath of God poured out on on uh, the sin of the world, which makes me think, well, does the justice of God and the wrath of God being uh, uh, does God's justice supersede God's love? Because we know God's love, God is loving. Which which is it? Doesn't seem like it could be both. But it is both, and they they are side by side. They are next to each other. God will always remain just. God will always remain loving, and I think it's worth exploring a little bit. In a verse in Romans, Paul just dives into the deep end with this, and Pastor Jim, in his Roman series, is still is dealt with this as well. In chapter three, it talks about we're all in this boat together. In um, Chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's some, let me just read it. Verse 24, fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood 
to be received by faith. The word propitiation, when you read that, think this. Think satisfaction. Satisfying what? Satisfying the justice of God. Jesus' death, this substitutionary death, satisfied the justice of God. It was uh, the propitiation, it says. And so, later on, in verse 26, this is what it says. It, what is it? It, the propitiation, was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See how they remain true of God and yet they are side by side. He's just, but he's also the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. And so the wrath of God poured out on the sins of the world would fall on the Son of God, Jesus. Why? Because the love of God for the world prompted God to act on our behalf. That was a mouthful. I'll say that again. The wrath of God poured out on the sins of the world would fall on the Son of God, Jesus, because the love of God for the world prompted God to act on our behalf. Look at this awesome verse in Romans 5, verse 7 and 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we are yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. The justice of God, substitutionary, um, no, I messed it up. Propitiation of our sins, satisfying the justice of God. Why? Because God shows his love for us. And it's that amount of love that he would have. Story number four is the story of Peter. Well, Peter was there at the Garden of Gethsemane. He had a front row seat to all that happened. Though he was asleep for some of it, he got to see a lot of it. Peter was a fisherman. He wasn't a scholar. But he had the opportunity to walk with Jesus those three years. And he saw a good many things. He experienced some amazing, amazing things. He saw Jesus turn water into delicious wine. He saw Jesus uh, bring, um, give sight back to the blind to heal. It seems like all the pages of the Gospels, you can't, turn, you can't turn and land on a single page without Jesus healing somebody. It's just amazing. And, G- and Peter was there to witness all of that. Jesus saw Peter uh, calm the storms. He, uh, uh, he controlled the wind and the waves. He saw Jesus walk on the waves. And even Peter walked on the waves, a few waves at least, a few steps anyway. Peter was this passionate guy, but he was also impulsive. And he loved Jesus. He wasn't a superhero though. And so let's not be too hard on Peter and the choices he made because... Um, I think he's a little bit like us, or maybe we are a little bit like him. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was a long night for Peter. 
You remember how he was fixated on not falling away. Well, it says in Matthew 26 again, in verse 56, then all the disciples left him and fled. He was fixated on not falling away. He fell away. Remember how adamant he was? I will not deny you. Jesus said, you will. Three times tonight. Before that night was through, Peter had denied knowing Jesus those three times. Jesus had asked him to stay awake. He fell asleep. He had left Jesus' side there in Gethsemane. And what happened was the mob came with their torches and their swords drawn and all to, rest, all to uh, arrest the one man. And then they took him to, uh, they led him to Caiaphas, the high priest. And there's a courtyard outside this building. And that's where Peter ended up. And uh, he denied Jesus there, talking in his conversations we're going to look at that here in just a bit. Uh, in verse, well, I'll read it now. Verse 70, I want to read. Uh, verse 73, after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And so Peter had messed it up. And he was there with his uh, hopes crashing down, his dreams crashing down around him. And if it was me, I think I would have wept bitterly too. If you have ever wept bitterly... And I bet you have. You can enter in how Peter's feeling here. For me, I was thinking, you know, it's like I've, I've, uh, I've been caught in a snare of my own making. And I don't have anyone to blame but myself. And I'm sure Peter was wrestling with all that stuff. And that brings us to story number five. I call it the broken snare And the story begins in uh, a psalm that David wrote. Psalm 124, David writes about a bird caught in the snare, a fowler's snare. What hope, I ask you, I'm asking, what hope has a bird that has foolishly got itself caught up in a snare? The answer is, no hope at all. Say it with me, no hope at all. What hope does that bird have? No hope at all. David had been a shepherd. I'm sure he saw. Otherwise, he wouldn't have written about it. He'd seen a bird or two caught in a fowler's snare. And there's flapping. And there's struggling. But there's no amount of cleverness on the part of the bird that's going to extricate the bird from that snare. He's a goner. That bird is a goner. And here... I just like us to think, just to kind of extrapolate where what that means for us, because we are not a whole lot different than the bird. We're not a whole lot different than Peter. Uh, 
we are in the same snare of our own making. Disciples, we would say, they should have watched. They should have prayed, but they slept. But are we a whole lot different? Hey, they should have, they should have made a stronger stand for Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane. They shouldn't have snuck off into the dark. But how far removed are we from doing something super similar? So, when the Bible says in, in uh, Romans 6.23, for all have sinned, we're not exempt from that. We're in that camp. When Isaiah said, uh, everyone to his own way, that would be us. So just to enter into this a little bit, I say welcome to the planet where all of us made in the image of God have chosen at one point or another, not to follow the rules of God, not to follow the laws of God. Our choices have brought on us the justice of God, and we're in a situation that we can't wriggle free from. There are creative problem solvers among us, but the creative problem solving is not going to help us at this point, nor is you know some optimistic slogan. Okay? We are no better off with, with our slogans and our, our creative problem solving than we were before. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church in these words, and this is how he described the situation in Ephesians 2.12, having no hope without God in the world. Having no hope without God in the world just like a bird caught in a fowler's snare. But then, there is a plot twist. David must have been watching a bird caught in a fowler's snare, because this is what he writes. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped the snare is broken we have escaped like how often does that happen what I'm thinking okay I want you to think about something else with me back in Gethsemane Peter was wanting to do something and that's that's totally us as well we just want to do something and so he took his sword and cut off the ear of a guy named Malchus who happened to be in the employee of the high priest. So now we know why he maybe was a little nervous in the courtyard of the high priest, because he just sliced off the ear of the high priest's servant. So, Jesus, back in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus says, Peter, put your sword away. And nobody gets hurt. It's kind of the idea. I'm looking at verse 52 put your sword back into its place and then skip down to 53. I want you to listen to this. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. And then in 56, but all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. 
Then all the disciples left him and fled. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. Jesus had an escape route. He had a way of escape. And it would have it would be the uh, the 12 legions of angels, okay? 12 legions uh, each legion about 6,000 angels. So that's over 72,000 angel warriors would have come to Jesus aid, to Jesus rescue. And I'm just saying that would have freaked out a lot of people there in the Garden of Gethsemane. But it would have been a very effective rescue op. And so the mob with the torches and the swords, they would have been the ones to flee. And Jesus' friends, they would have been rejoicing. But that was not a, that was not a rescue route. That Jesus chose. It would have been cool to see. And I probably would have taken it. And anybody who's watched one of the Marvel movies probably would have said, Yeah! That's a rescue. That would be cool. But it wasn't the rescue. It wasn't the, the escape route that Jesus chose. Why? Well, he told us why. He says it was because of the scriptures. The scriptures needed to be fulfilled. And you and I have looked at Isaiah 53. How it was... It was... Uh, Isaiah showed that, that God knew uh, what needed to happen. God knew that it would happen. And now God had set the stage for it to happen. It had been the Father's plan for the Messiah to suffer. Yes, but to suffer and uh, die a substitutionary death, just like we read in Paul, that Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 3, that he might be just and the justifier of those who put their faith in Jesus. Our sin requires God's justice, but God requests our friendship. And this probably was not making sense to Peter there in the garden that night. Remember when he, when uh, Jesus had said, you will all fall away from me this night. No, I won't. I won't fall away. What I think he missed right after that is when Jesus said this. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. I think that would have made a difference in Peter's evening had he really listened to the truth of that. Oh, so the Messiah will suffer. He will die a substitutionary death. Maybe this may have made sense to him, but then he would rise again. Okay, so I can think myself through this night. Maybe it would have made a difference, but that's why I think he maybe missed it. But Jesus, it was God's plan, and Jesus understood that God's plan for him was to suffer and die, but also to raise again from the dead. Because look at what Peter said himself in First Peter chapter 2. It all started to make sense for him. And this is what Peter wrote. He himself, Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
by, and here he sounds an awful lot like Isaiah 53, by his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. What Isaiah predicted over 700 years prior came true. Jesus' death on the cross was to satisfy the justice of God for our account. Think of it this way. Jesus refused his escape in order to purchase us our escape. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. It says in Isaiah. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. <laughs> it reminds me so much of that verse in Psalm 124. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. We've escaped. The snare is broken and we have escaped. So listen to this. Jesus is our escape from the penalty for our sins that awaits us. We don't like to think about that. But the penalty for our sins awaits us unless we can somehow escape Jesus, his substitutionary death, the propitiation for our sins, is our way of escape. Jesus is the escape from the penalty for our sins that awaits us, and it's through faith in Jesus. Forgiveness is ours for the asking through faith in Jesus. Our freedom is ours for the asking through faith in Jesus. That's why in Romans chapter 10, this awesome verse in verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved is one of those words we maybe overuse. But think about what it means. We're saved from what our sins call for in the justice of God. The punishment that our sins call for, we are saved from because Jesus death was considered by God the satisfaction of the justice of God. And just so you know, when we talk about Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It reminds me of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it's by grace that you have been saved. Through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works that we should boast. So, reaching into my pocket again, I've got this shiny piece of tin. It's really just a washer, but it's shiny. So, I thought we'd think about this just one second because I think the question we need to ask is, is there something I'm holding on to? Is there something you're holding on to this morning that you need to be letting go of? Just thought we could think about that a little bit because this picture I have in my mind of this raccoon and he's got his little paw wrapped around this little piece of tin. And it's stuck in the hole. He could choose to let it go. But he won't. Because it is so important to him. And of course there's things super important to us. And just maybe God wants us to, to be letting go. And trust him with these things. Now it could be. It could be just pride. Okay. God wants us to let go of our pride. Think of pride this way. Pride says, I don't need 
anybody's help. I certainly don't need God's help. That's pride. Let go. Let it go. But perhaps there's some strategy you have. Maybe it's a grudge you have. Maybe it's just a sin. God's asking you to let it go. Why? Here's why. God wants us to let these things go so that we can be free. So, would you consider letting go of whatever it is that's keeping you from God this morning and come again in faith in Jesus? Or maybe come for the very first time. Maybe you've never come to faith in Jesus before for the forgiveness of your sins. Come today. Let it go. Come, put your faith in the one who gave his life for you to set you free. So perhaps today it could be true of you, like Isaiah said, for you to stop your straying and to come again and return to the shepherd of your souls. Thank you, God, for this opportunity to look into your word and be reminded as we ramp up to our Easter celebration in the life of Jesus. So many things intertwine Peter and his choices. And then we find ourselves in these pages too. Our choices and the nature of God to be just, the nature of God to be loving. And we appreciate the opportunity to talk about them this morning. I pray that uh, you would have your way in us. You'd have your way in LifePoint Church that uh, we could know the freedom and the life that comes only through faith in Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.